Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. And welcome back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. It is my favorite hour of the week. Chris Presley is across the way. And Chris, we've got a whole lot to unpack. Um, Yeah. Jim Ursay in the Twitter sphere is awesome. Coach Ursay, that's how I often refer to him (laughs) as. Coach Ursay is no shortage of entertainment there. Can't wait to break down all of that. We're going to get into free agency on this podcast, the Colts in-house free agents. There is a slew of names, um, I think seven or eight like starters or, you know, certainly notable names on that list as well. So um, I want to hit on that, and I can't wait for you guys to hear the Kurt Warner interview uh, we will play later on in the podcast. Uh, An absolute must listen. I know a lot of you uh, probably listen to it on our morning show, Kevin and Query, every morning, 7 to 10 a.m., but Chris, you just listen to it again yeah and you were you know kind of blown away by just the insight and the detail and you know a hall of fame <laughs> brain uh talking to us and it's kind of funny the way kurt he's he's still so humble in the fact that he goes now this is just me being an analyst it's like kurt you're a hall of fame quarterback yeah right exactly it's okay for you to be critical of people but that's just not in his his makeup and his mindset but yeah he he did a really good job and and i think our listeners are going to appreciate not only what he thinks about Carson Wentz, but a couple other quarterbacks that you bring up during that interview as well. Yeah, really excited for all of you to hear that. Uh, Twitter questions, as always, to round things out, about 12 to 13, trying to keep it right to about a dozen each podcast here mm-hmm. in the off season. So for those of you that have sent some to Chris or me or wherever, um, we've got a long list, and we'll try and kind of chop away or chip away at that. Chuck Pagano would be very happy <laughs> that I just used that reference there. Before we get to free agency, man, the NFL, you can't script it. It's absurd. I said to my wife after the Rams-Bucks game, one of the wildest NFL games I've seen. Then I literally repeated myself four hours later after Chiefs-Bills, and she kind of looked at me like, how can that be? You know, like you you watch so much NFL. Uh, but truly, man, and like the Saturday games in their own yeah, right, right were, I mean, the Titans have the ball in position to kick a game-winning field goal if they get, you know, whatever, two first downs, something like that. Green Bay, of course, you know, looks like they're in control, even though it's not on the scoreboard. And lo and behold, San Francisco hangs around, hangs around, and in fluky weather, special teams uh, can often be the difference, and it certainly was. So, unreal, man. Um, gosh. Yeah, and for a guy who's got to wake up early in the morning, especially with a, a young daughter, I mean, <laughs> that Bills game – did you stay awake for the whole oh, thing? Oh yeah, of course. You know, I had a heavy financial investment into the into, That's true. into the yeah. mafia. So, um I I I feel for them. Um and you know, the nice thing about the NFL, the game did end about 9 whatever, 9 9:45. So I did like, like the 6:30 kick. Yeah, yeah. so I, I do love that the NFL does that. Um you know, to me Chris watching it, you always watch it with a little bit of a Colts perspective. I think it's just inevitable. I think the results from Sunday and Saturday were great and eye-opening for the Colts. And I think that's necessary. You know, we'll, we'll get more into this deeper into the podcast. It sucks. It's harsh reality. The Pacers are going through it right now, Chris. Yeah. And, like, it's not to the Pacers level where the Colts are, but sometimes you have got 
to make sure that it hits you right in the freaking face for you to really, really realize what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, embarrassing losses, humbling losses. That was the first step in it. And now I think, and certainly Jim Mercer's Twitter indicates <laughs> it, the Colts are realizing what is necessary to make that next step, the hardest step, the biggest step, but the next step. I also say great because, you know, I think you have a lot of indecision on where, where Aaron Rodgers is going to end up. Now, is he going to end up here? You know, we'll get into that a little bit later in the pod. But, Chris, over the next month and a half, what the Colts need, if you are in the camp of you want to move on from Carson Wentz, you need dominoes to fall. Mm-hmm. Rodgers, Wilson, Watson, probably the big three. Um, I could see, like, I don't know, Brady's not going to move on to play for another team. But, you know, Tampa Bay could be kind of a, a bit of a domino there. But those are the, are, are the big three. And you cheer for all of them yeah. to fall because, okay, you know, does Nathaniel Hackett get the job with the Raiders? And now the Packers offensive coordinator wants Aaron Rodgers to come there. Now Derek Carr is out. You know, just throwing out hypotheticals. The Vikings on paper, they seem to indicate that they are pretty – Pretty talented on the offensive side of the ball. Are they done with Kirk Cousins? Is Kirk Cousins an upgrade over over Carson Wentz? Like, you know, all of those are just, I think, fascinating debates that um, could happen. And when the Colts don't have the resources, like some other teams that could get a Rodgers or a Wilson, um, I don't think the Watson thing is realistic for several reasons. But um, I think that this is a good thing for the Colts. You want dominoes. you know, I've always like felt like I make golf references a lot. I'm a po- very poor chipper of the golf ball, and my lazy ass says, "Oh, I'll just hit more greens." You know, if you hit 17 greens around, Kevin, you only got to chip once. So, sure enough, that's going to be my mindset. Like, if you did that, and that's how you ran a business, that would be some of the laziest, least critical thinking, attacking of your problems that you could have. Right. I think where the Colts are at right now, they are looking at it and they're like, okay, we are a poor chipping team or poor iron play or we've got a two-way miss with the driver. Well, what do you do? You go on the effing range and you grind it out and you try to get better at that facet of the game. So then, you know, you can become more well, well-rounded. well I think we're finally starting to get – I mean, look at Kansas City, man. Blown up in the Super Bowl last year. Now look at their offensive line. Total overhaul yeah. in what the moves they made – this past year. The Bengals have taken a clear approach here of we're going to draft heavy offense. Panay Sewell sitting there at five overall. So many people say draft, draft, draft. We're going to take Jamar Chase because we want to pair you know, the college teammates up and now look at them. Obviously, the Rams, they are the definition of all in. San Francisco would seem to be an outlier in all of this you know, based off the quarterback and, and all that. And I think it's fair to call them an outlier. But I also think where the 49ers have been better off than the Colts. And I, I think they're kind of similar um, organizations to compare because if I'm not too. mistaken, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan were like pretty much the same time frame as Chris Boward mm-hmm. and Frank Reich. You look at the draft picks of some of these franchises. Ballard has obviously hit home runs with Jonathan Taylor and Darius Leonard and Quentin Nelson. I would think you could say that John Lynch has hit some home runs. Nick Bosa, you know, being a little bit more of an obvious one, high up there. Well, shit, Mitchell was a six-round pick. Yeah, you know? Mitchell. So. Uh, and, and even if I'm – yeah, Mitchell's been huge for him. But going bigger, like Kittle, 
Yep. Debo Samuel, you mm-hmm. know, what number wideout was he when he got drafted? Um, Fred Warner, I think, would classify as a pretty good player as well. If you look at those positions, though, Chris, Debo and Kittle specifically, I mean, that is the wideout. Calling him just a wideout is unfair. He's just a freaking playmaker, Debo Samuel. And Kittle's one of the best tight ends in football. They have Debo Kittle. The Colts have Michael Pittman and Moali Cox. And I'll even throw Juszczyk in there. You know me. I love a good fullback. I think, honestly, if Shanahan had our offense, the same offensive players, and I'm not taking anything away from Frank Reich, but I kind of am by saying this, he just has different wrinkles. He mixes things in. Beautiful, beautiful offensive mind. Um, So right there, offensive skill, explosive playmakers. You know, Samuel and Kittle qualify for that, no questions Mm -hmm. asked. And then defensively, they have been top 10 picks, but, you know, Bosa and and Armstead have been, you know, absolute hits for them. So when you compare the two draft records of, of, you know, Lynch and, and Ballard, it's, again, at the more impactful spots. Have they had better draft capital to work with? Sure. But I think that's what separates them. I also think this about Garoppolo. I'm not a huge Garoppolo guy. I think the health, and he's so good looking that I'm just like, come on, dude, you can't have it all. So I, I, I'm a little bitter there. But the health of him has always been a concern for me. Mm-hmm. But I'll give him a ton of freaking credit. We watched Carson Wentz run, get scared, be mad at the drafting of Jalen Hurts. We watched Jimmy Garoppolo handle Trey Lance at number three overall. A whole lot different than Carson Wentz handled Jalen Hurts at 40-whatever overall, wherever Jalen Hurts yeah. was was drafted. And this gets back to, I think, a question that I have, still have about Wentz. So much mental scarring from what happened in Philly. And, like, you know what? <laughs> I'm not, like, saying that he needs to be mentally tougher. Dude, I get it. Like, you got benched. You lost your starting job. A franchise in a city like turned their back on you. Like that is that that's a big freaking deal. Like and, and you know you aren't you aren't really a city guy to begin with. You mm-hmm. know all those things. So I totally understand. While the mental scarring is immense, is it fixable? You know, like I feel like Garoppolo has just handled things so much better. I mean, the number three overall picks a whole lot different than you know Jalen Hurts. So. I think that's what separates San Francisco. And now they are, you know, on the doorstep. And they still obviously have to beat the Rams. Um, but here they are as the Final Four team, what, twice in the last three years or twice in the last four years, whatever it is. Do you um, think if Carson was drafted the way Garoppolo was drafted? Because they both have similar in terms of backgrounds, in terms of, like, schools. Yeah, smaller schools. Smaller yeah. schools. Mm-hmm. Someone comes in. Jimmy's used to being the, the low guy on the totem pole and having to prove yeah. himself. I, I, Do you I, think Carson being the number two pick, like, made him feel like he was obligated to always be that person? That's probably, um, yeah, that's probably a fair statement to make. And obviously Garoppolo goes to New England where he's waiting and waiting. So um, his career has never been the here are the keys to the franchise. There's no turning yeah. back sort of thing. I, I don't think that even San Francisco, it seems like there's always been skepticism. Mm-hmm. And how that Super Bowl ended. I'm thinking about bouncing back from that Super Bowl and the fact that he made some Mistakes late in that game when San Francisco had, a, I think, a two-score lead, if I'm not mistaken, against Kansas City as well. So I always think you can take things away from the final few teams, and that's kind of what I have taken away is you watch those four play, 
San Francisco probably being the one outlier, but still, I don't think they're a total outlier, and I try to explain why there. How do you impact the passing game? Mm-hmm. How do you impact the passing game? Quarterback, wide out, elite tight end, pass rush, all of it. I continue to come back to that. And San Francisco, I think a big reason why they won is they had the bad weather game. <laughs> you know, right or wrong, I, I, I do think that played a huge role into them, you know, being in that game and ultimately winning that game. I mean, Aikman talked about it late in the game. He's like, these guys can't even really plant in that fourth quarter. And it was going to take something, you know, flunk, you know, clunky and, and crazy to happen. And sure enough, the block punt happens. And uh, Robbie Gold is, you know, he's got the wagon of the <laughs> ball emoji there. You know, that, that's honestly what, what you might go with for Hab. So wanted to touch on the divisional round games. Let's, uh, at the tail end of it, let's give our – uh, conference championship picks for the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm going to save them, save them, save them, save them. Okay. Save them till the end. Okay. Because you know, pe- I mean, wait, there are people that are like, I don't want to listen to the end of this podcast. <laughs> and now they're going to be like, I'm listening till the end. Well, let's go on the offensive side because let's jump into some of the things you want to talk about. And at, we in, we are now in our postseason. Yes. So we're going to go into free agency. Let's talk about offensive free agents to start. And I'm going to list off the names. You can go to 107.5thefan.com to look at this entire article that Kevin has written out. And there's a lot of names, right? I mean, there, are, there are a ton of names. Yeah. And not only does he list the names and the positions, but also their ages, which are, you know, they mean something. Yeah, thanks to the note. Um, start in the backfield, Marlon Mack. So we're going to go offensive and defensive here, right? Yeah. Okay. Do you want me to list them all in a row? Yeah, yeah, or do you yeah. want me to just... list all the offensive free agents. And then we'll uh, talk about him. After okay, that. here's all the offense. Marlon Mack, T.Y. Hilton, Zach Paschal. At tight end, you have Moelle Cox. Moelle Cox, pardon me. Um, offensive tackle, Sam Tevy. Left tackle, Eric Fisher. Offensive guard, Mark Lewinsky. Matt Pryor on the offensive line. And then also uh, Julian Davenport. At guard, you have Chris Reed. So a lot of offensive linemen there. But then there's some notable names. Of course, T.Y. Hilton, Marlon Mack are going to... And Mo Ali Cox are probably going to be the most um, player-wise. A lot of notable names, Chris. I think what stands out to you or to me when I hear it again is just the amount of offensive linemen. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot on there. Um, you know, who do you stand on the table for? Probably Chris Reed, I'd put. You know, we haven't seen a lot of starting lineup changes on the O-line. By choice, you know, obviously right. the Costanza retirement dictated that. But I would say Chris Reed, Moali Cox, I think is a need to bring back. At the same time, I don't think you ignore tight end because you bring back Moali Cox. Um, and we'll see about Jack Doyle and the retirement there. He's got one year left on his deal. I think Matt Pryor is important to bring back as like a versatile piece. I, I am curious, though, is Matt Pryor like Joe Haig? Where he's been the Swiss Army knife, mm-hmm. would he seek out an opportunity to start somewhere? And that's probably not going to happen here. Left tackle, I think the Eric Fisher debate is fascinating to have. Um, He's a free agent, right? Yes. He is um, certainly did not perform up to the standard you would want at left tackle and pass protection this past year. I've always kind of been under the impression in my very amateur, a.k.a. I just talk to people that know more about the medical field than I do, It seems like, oh, torn Achilles, two years removed, you know, you're a much different player than you are in that first year coming off the Achilles. 
Now, we had on Will Carroll, the injury expert, mm-hmm. who, who does a great job, you know, breaking down injuries and has done a lot of baseball background. But he is, and we're seeing it with Cam Akers, although again, he might be the outlier. He is pretty adamant. Like torn Achilles nowadays is like six to nine months sort of thing, which seems astonishing to me. But he's pretty adamant. So he feels like Fisher's done. Or the Fisher you saw this year is the Fisher you're going to see moving forward. Again, he knows far more than I do. I maybe even more willing to give Fisher another chance, but like, and part of it probably comes from this, Chris. Like, who else? You know, I mean, and yeah. I know that's not a great answer, and I know it's an answer <laughs> or a question that gets asked a whole lot about quarterback right now. But, um, and even though it sucks to say, like based off his play, you kind of have leverage if you're the GM. You know, Chris Ballard. It's a decent point. Has yeah. better leverage yeah. than. Yeah. So I, I guess what I'm getting at here is when you read off those names to me, Allie Cox, Reed, and Pryor would probably rank in some order as the three I'd bring back. The Fisher one is interesting. Um, but man, there's a lot of names. But no one. I mean, I stand on a table, but I don't jump up and down on a table for him. You know, it's like when Rosie stands on her chair right now. It's like Rosie <laughs> on your bottom, and she's you know. She's not jumping up and down. She eventually will slowly get on her bottom right. after about three little shit-eating grins that I'm like, <laughs> God, the next Just test you just enough. 16 and a half years of my <laughs> life right here. Oh, I love it, but, man, gray hair and hair falling out is going to have it a lot. That's kind of where I'm at. And really defensive, and, and go ahead and read off the defensive name. Anybody else, I guess, stand out to you about offense before we move over to that? <clears> no, I think just based on your article – it does always shock me, and it shouldn't because we always talk about how the NFL is running backs. you got a two- to three-year window sometimes. Marlon Mack's only 25. I know. <laughs> you know, he was always young for his age when he got drafted. That was always kind of a big reason why I thought you would bring him back on a second deal. This is obviously before the torn Achilles. You know, Pascal, it sounds like he's going to be back, honestly, if you listen to Ballard. But, again, I am of the belief that you know, Pascal, Campbell, whoever, just because you bring him back. Yeah. That should not, should not, should not, should not lessen the wide receiver need. <laughs> All right, let's jump to the defensive side of the ball. Like you said, defensive end, Isaac Rochelle, Kamoko Ture, Al-Kadim Muhammad, Tyquan Lewis, Antoine Woods, and Taylor Stallworth are all defensive linemen and defensive ends that we have as free agents going into next year. Linebackers, Matthew Adams, Zaire Franklin, going to the secondary, you have Xavier Rhodes, TJ Carey, George Odom, and Andrew Sindano. Yeah, it's... Um, Sindejo, sorry. It, it's a group that, again, I don't know who I'm standing up for. Um, Ballard certainly talked up Tyquan Lewis a whole lot on his own right. in that final presser. The injury was severe, patella injury. God, remember that play, man? He picked off the ball and... That was a Tennessee game. You could have gone mm-hmm. up, I think, three scores at that point. I felt like the Colts had pretty good injury luck this year. Pretty good, honestly, pretty good COVID luck. Injury, some, yeah, and COVID. Some yeah. people would disagree with that, but I think the numbers indicate they did. But, man, that loose injury, that is like, you talk about bad luck for him and certainly the team and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Um, Al-Kadim Muhammad's a guy I bring back, but yep. it's a guy that I bring back and sit here and say, I want him as depth. I don't want him starting 17 games like he just did. Um, Sire Franklin, I think, deserves to come back. I think, you know, I don't think it's like quite like the Anthony Walker. You're the third linebacker. You're going to go seek something else. I think Zaire Franklin, seventh-round pick, I think kind of knows you know, who he is in this league, and that's 
captain of a special teams unit, and you know he still started a good amount of games and helps you out against run teams. You know, depth. You know, Stallworth on the defensive line. I thought he gave you um, some decent. I'm probably done with Xavier Rhodes and T.J. Carey, two guys that have been available. And Rhodes more than Carey, but pretty productive throughout their careers. And then all of a sudden, we just saw them fall off a cliff this year. Yeah, availability and ability wise, and they're both what? Are they both thirty? They're both thirty-one. Thirty-one. Yeah. So, um, Ture is the definition of. Love to be a fly on the wall for that debate between Chris Bowden and his mm-hmm. pro scouting staff and coaching staff. I mean, five and a half sacks this year, I believe. Um, I think he missed four games. So, for him, that's honestly pretty good. Ture has the feel to me. And, you know, Ture, I, I've always thought it's just, you just wonder, Chris, you know, is he 100% checking the blue, the blue character trait? Probably not. No. But you know what? He plays that one position where you make exceptions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he is he is a talented rusher. I'd like more consistency. I'd like for him to be able to play on rundowns, but that stuff's not there in his career. Am I willing to give him another chance? Um, you know, he's not going to – I can't see him getting a mega deal with a one-year deal, and now he, his agent's in his head like, dude, if you go for 10 sacks this year, you're going to break the bank. He reminds me of what Jerry Hughes was. Yes, a little. Yes, I, I I think that's fair. Like I feel um, like we let him walk. He goes to another team. Depending on their defensive scheme, somehow he comes up with like you said, ten ten to eleven sacks. And next thing you know, damn it, we should have brought him yeah, back. Right? You know. Uh, so again, I'll hear both cases for it. I'd probably fall in the one year, prove it. Can we send a message? Now, some would say he's already had four years. Why, why do you need to see it again? But. You got different rules for different positions on the mm-hmm. team. I'm sorry, this is not all your children. This is this is different. Uh, I believe that's a soap opera, right? All your, <laughs> your all, is it all my children. Well, maybe my mom. Huge days of our lives. Really? Oh, the hourglass. I can I can hear it in my. Uh, so she was a teacher, so she would record it and then come home and watch it every day. <laughs> I'm like, mom, you're a teacher that like. We couldn't be more boring as a family right now. We couldn't be the anti-days of our lives. You know, one of the things that soap operas remind me of, you, you and I were both uh, in communications a little bit in, in college. Uh, I took a, a communications class where they started on radio. Like, that's how far back they go. Really? They started, like, in the third. Like, people would listen to them, and then oh. they became on TV. Oh. And you imagine living in the they 30s, have like they have like do. family trees. You can go online and find like the family trees of all of the because that's how long they've been going. Family soap opera trees. It's crazy. Man. That, that sounds like a good Mother's Day present I could give my mom. <laughs> honestly, um, so Ture, man, it's just I, I need to look closer to the pass rushers and free agency, and that is another move where it's like. But you know what? You start getting into these names, and I, I've listed whatever seven or eight guys that I could bring back. But I'm thinking to myself. I think it's 43, 45 million you have right now. Obviously, the Wentz thing yep. could impact things. The Doyle thing could impact things. You know, you bring back seven or eight guys, that's going to eat in to some of that. So I think that is something you got to keep in mind as well. And then uh, the kicker, correct? Yes. We're going to go to Badgley. Mr. Badgley. Did I put his stats in there? So he was 18 of 21 on field goals from 39, or 18 of 21 on field goals and 39 of 39 on on extra points in 12 games, which, I mean... He was really solid. You can't argue with those numbers. Takeaways from the playoffs. 
Am I too playoff centric with this thinking? Does what Evan McPherson has done for the Bengals does that make me think like the Colts should go out and upgrade kicker, or is that a luxury item at this point? I think you always need specialty players, and I'm gonna look up real quick because Darius Butler tweeted earlier today that I think three of the four games came down to game-winning field goals. Yeah, the first three. So, yeah. I saw McPherson, who's a fifth-round pick. Right. Very high. I mean, very high draft pick. Was he the only one drafted, I think? kicker. Sounds right. I think he was the only kicker drafted last year. If I'm paying attention to kickers in the sixth and seventh round of the draft, (laughs) (laughs) that's where I really, really got to uh, check myself. But, what, 13 points this past week? I think he had 13 in the first game, two shorter kicks. But, I mean, 250-yard bombs outdoors? Huge for that guy. I heard my Dan Patrick earlier this week. He hasn't missed a kick on the road, field goal on the road all He's year. He's just been nails. I'll tell you what, they, they need a chance think, on uh, on Sunday. He can't kick too many field goals in Arrowhead, but I think well, what, what do they have that overtime game against like Washington earlier well, in the, the crazy year? Where, game was the yeah. Green Bay game, right? Weren't like him and Crosby. There was one of those games. That, yeah, that's what it was. It was the Green Bay game yeah. where they kept. Missing. That was at home, yeah, right? Um, so yeah. yeah, he's been really steady. So I guess w- with kicker, Hot Rod is still under contract for one more year. Actually, you bring back at the bare minimum. That's a kicking competition in training camp. That's how I would operate. Right. And then I'd probably tell Bubba Ventrone or whoever else, you know, who go find a big leg kicker, and let's see what happens. Three kickers seems ludicrous, but man, that position. <laughs> just when you think you have it settled, you watch other teams, and we saw last year in the playoffs. Man, I mean, a big reason why the Colts lost the Bills was freaking kicker, the Bills rookie kicker. Hit a couple bombs in that weather, and Hot Rod doinked one off the upright from 30-something yards. So, I love that the NFL has kickers. I think it's like the most, I think it's just awesome. Which helps out the NFL so much that, like, these dudes, like, Notre Dame just got a grad transfer kicker that's 5'5", 130 pounds. I'm like, this is awesome. (laughs) I mean, this dude, he wouldn't make his, you know, soccer intramural team on Notre Dame's campus right. with that size, and yet he's going to be kicking in one of the more important college football positions. And I just think the aspect of a kicker deciding these games is hilarious. Maddening as hell, hilarious as hell. Yeah, he's going to be the Rob Fennessy. He's going to get carried off the yes. court, oh, God, carried off the field. I hope. <laughs> Schedule's brutal. Let's carry him out of the horseshoe the first game of the season. Oh, uh, gosh. I don't think that's going to happen, but. So, yeah, those are the free agents. So, that's your takeaway. Again, you can go to 1075thefan.com, uh, go to the drop-down tab with Kevin, and you can find that article if you want any more interaction on or any more in-depth interaction on some of those players. I'm seeing March 16th, if I have that right, as the first day of free agency. So, less than two months away from that. You know, Typically, early March is when you start to re-sign your own. Mm-hmm. So. Over on West 56 right now, it's a lot of critical thinking and questions being asked, and answers will come after that. Uh, future podcast here in the next month or so, we'll probably break down those free agents into tiers. Remember last year we did the green, yep. yellow, red mm-hmm. tiers. I'd like to do that again. I think it's a good way to look at kind of priorities and ranking that. Um, okay, with that, before we get to Twitter questions, let's get to Kurt Warner and the interview there. Um, Chris, any little teases of things that kind of stood out to you? For, I guess I should probably set this up. Why I thought we should get Kurt Warner on the show, and this is our morning show, Kevin and Quarry, by the way, if you hear some weird audio in there, but 
Kurt Warner does film breakdowns on quarterbacks called QB Confidential on YouTube. And I, I've watched a few of them, and I'm like, man, he's a really good at, at, at this. Yeah. Um, so I've always been curious just if and when he would do one on Wentz, and he did. Uh, now, unfortunately for Wentz, the plays that he did were the Jacksonville game. But I think Warner, and you'll hear it in the interview, it's not a lot of just reactionary just to Jacksonville. It's a lot more of the big picture, where he feels like he's at right now, the issues with him right now, fixable traits, all of that. If I'm not mistaken, I think Warner did the Colts-Cardinals game on NFL Network. I thought he was I thought it was him and Joe Davis. He might have, yeah. Maybe it was Greg Olson. Um, kind of forget at this point who it was. But anyways. I mean, the Cardinals might have thrown it to him like the Cowboys get Troy Aikman every, every week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was candid and nerdy, but not too nerdy. No, he was great. The quarterback spot. So, anything stand out to you? No, so just, just listen to the way that Kurt is obviously humble about everything, but also isn't too uh, – He there's not too much confliction here. He, he just breaks it down how he sees it. Kevin does a good job throwing him some questions about other quarterbacks, and as always in the YouTube comments below, would love to hear your responses of what you think about this interview and also what you think about some of the names that Kurt throws around. Love it. Kurt Warner, folks, right here on Kevin's Corner. Boy, I've been looking forward to this all week long. Time to quarterback nerd out a little bit, and we've got the Hall of Famer NFL Network analyst. You heard him on the call a few weeks back. Kurt Warner is with us right now. Kurt, thanks for the time. You got it. My pleasure. So, obviously, I think a lot of Colts fans um, have seen your breakdown of Carson Wentz from a few weeks ago. Um, I thought it was terrific. I, I remember talking to you couple of months ago and and just your 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 candor and your insight and your detail is something that I think is really unmatched when talking about the quarterback position so I want to start here with Wentz when you saw the move last year from Philadelphia to Indy and what he needed to do to not be the broken turnover prone quarterback that we saw with Philly what were some of the areas that you felt like Frank Reich needed to work on with him initially well, the first thing is I was excited about the marriage, not just because they had been together before, but I think Coach Reich does a great job of giving answers to his quarterback. And when I watched Carson in Philly, biggest thing for me, I'm all about the eyes. The eyes to me, and I always say the eyes are the window to the soul, but I believe they are the window to the quarterback's soul, is that when you can see a guy's head and you know what he's looking at and what he's doing with his eyes – that tells you about all you need to know on are they seeing the right thing? Are they processing the right way? Are they, you know, are they, are they looking at the right defender? And I always thought Coach Reich does a great job of creating those opportunities for his quarterback. And I always say the quarterback position is it's so complicated. There's so many things that go into it. But once that ball is in your hand, the goal is to make the game as simple as possible, as quickly as possible. That's what it is. Try to eliminate as many guys as you possibly can and get your eyes to the guys that really matter on a given play. And so when I watched Carson in Philly, I felt like his eyes were all over the place. Like he didn't really know what he was looking at, that he was just, you know, just trying to find a guy open which, you know, you'll, you'll see a lot, uh, even at this level, is guys just trying to find guys open instead of being able to identify who they need to identify and let the defense tell them who's going to be open on a given play. So that, to me, was, was probably the biggest thing. And so as you go through this season, I thought Carson did a much better job of that this year than he did last year. I thought Coach did a great job of, of helping him 
to simplify some of the, the concepts or, or at least make the concepts that they were using make sense to Carson so his eyes would be in the right spot. Now, you, you always have to you know, weigh these things because I always say this as an analyst. All I'm doing is going off of the tape. I'm not going off of you know, what, what the coach's mindset is and putting in a play. I'm right. not going into what exactly the, the player is being taught to do and process on a given play. So I can only take a play, and what I do in my breakdowns is, this is what I would be thinking. This is what I would do on this particular play, having played the game and feeling like I understand the position really, really well and processing was, was what I did really well. So we always have to take that with a grain of salt. But as you guys saw in the breakdown uh, against Jacksonville, I thought that Carson was off in that regard, that, you know, his eyes were in different places and, you know, he wasn't simplifying the game as quickly as he could. And it forced some bad decisions um, or forced his eyes to be in the wrong spot that ultimately ended up to him holding the football and taking sacks. And so those are the things that you have to continue to work on with Carson. Uh, We know Carson had a really solid year. He did a lot of good things. He didn't make the turnovers as you were talking about that he did the year before, but also, you know, he didn't necessarily carry this team. You know, he was a complimentary piece and maybe that's what Carson Wentz will be the rest of his career. there are some quarterbacks that are good players, but are, have to be complimentary pieces. There's other guys that can carry a team with their right arm. And we've got to figure out who Carson Wentz is and what his ceiling, how high can he get, um, you know, in, in terms of carrying a team, even if it's not all the way to the top, and is that good enough to win a championship with the team that you have around him? And for those that missed it, again, quarterback confidential on YouTube, Kurt Warner. You can also see him and hear him Saturday at 12 noon, Sunday at 11 a.m. on NFL Network's NFL Game Day morning. Um, okay, sticking there for a second. We heard from Chris Ballard last week, Kurt, um, talk about some good, a lot to work on with Carson. And then he was asked, is it fixable? And, and Chris Bauer was like, you know, that's stuff we got to talk through with our coaching staff. From what you saw on film, I guess eyes related, is that fixable going into year seven, nearing the age of 30? Well, you know, here's the funny thing. I actually just tweeted, um, you know, about this idea that, you know, we continue to fall in love with the physical when I believe processing is the most important thing for a quarterback. If you can have both the Josh Allens, the Patrick Mahomes, the Aaron Rodgers, you're, you got the best of both worlds, and that's why those guys are elite. But to me, if you can only choose one, I choose processing. And, you know, that is a hard thing to say, is, is it fixable? Because I think it's just like if somebody has technique issues, then you can definitely say, yes, I can coach a guy to change and become better at that, but the guy has to still be able to do that. You know, it's not as simple as just saying, hey, you need to do this with your feet or you need to do this with your front hip and you'll become more accurate. It becomes habitual and it becomes something that some guys can take that information and apply it and become better in those areas. Other guys can hear that information, but they can't apply it. And that becomes, you know, what's so hard about evaluating the quarterback position. But that's what's so hard about you saying, is it fixable? I don't know if it's fixable. I, 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 don't, I haven't sat in a room with Carson Wentz to see, you know, what he sees on a board, what he understands on a board, and how it translates to the field and, and what he sees on a football field. I've seen some guys 
and heard stories of guys that you get them up on a board and, and you have them break down a play and you're blown away by their knowledge of a particular play. But then you put them on a field and you say, okay, now you've got to process all that information in three to four seconds and they can't do it that fast. And so it's not because they don't have the knowledge. It's because, you know, there, there's an ability in all of us, you know, whether that's physical ability or mental ability to be able to process and how quickly can you do that? The great ones, I believe, have the ability to process that uh, at, at an extremely high level, or they have the ability to make up for that with their physical gifts enough where that ratio makes them great. And uh, I, I don't know if we've seen enough from Carson at any point in time to say, oh, it's definitely fixable, or he can definitely do this. I, I don't know the answer to that, and that becomes the dilemma for any coach and, you know, for Coach Reich and the Colts, um, you know, to evaluate Carson Wentz and really figure out what his ceiling is. What is the best of Carson Wentz? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what we're doing when we get quarterbacks, right? We're trying to figure out, okay, where is the ceiling? Where is the best of this guy? And when we get to the best, how good is that? Can we live with that? as an organization, um, you know, moving forward. And uh, I think there's still a lot of work to do with Carson, both technically or physically, as well as mentally. Um, but the good thing is, I think you saw some strides from last year to this year with Carson Wentz that has to give you a little bit of hope that growth can be made. He's the Pro Football Hall of Famer. Kurt Warner is with us now. Some terrific, terrific insight on Carson Wentz. Um, okay, you kind of hit on it just there, but I want to expand on it. You use the phrase wasting time with his eyes. I believe that was one of the phrases that you used uh, in that Jags breakdown. And I almost walked away from it thinking to myself, when he holds onto the ball, it's not that he's looking for the big play. It's just indecision on exactly what he's looking for and that the footwork issue that was kind of the most popular one coming out of Philly, this might be more of a mental thing than it is physical. Would you agree right now it's a little bit more mental processing than physical? Yeah, I mean, I think they all tie together. I mean, I think it's all it, it all works together. But yeah, uh, again, I think you know you've got a lot of quarterbacks that are talented enough if they know where to go with the football that that they can make the throw, you know, a, a good majority of the time. When I when I use that that term wasting time with his eyes, what I mean by that is we always hear this term looking off, look off this guy, look off that guy. And we have to understand as quarterbacks that there's times we need to look off and there's times we don't. There's times, as I was saying earlier, I'm trying to eliminate as many guys as I possibly can at a given moment when I get the ball in my hands. So sometimes the backside safety has no relevance to what I'm doing on a particular play. As long as I know what I'm doing and I'm getting the ball out on time, that guy over there has no relevance to me whatsoever. So I don't need to spend any time making sure that he doesn't come over to the other side of the field or that he holds in his position because all that does is waste time for me to actually see what I need to see on the front side. And so I often felt that, you know, Carson at times would waste time and he'd be looking off to the left when the read is a quick read to the right-hand side and there's no reason to ever have to waste that time. And now all of a sudden you're coming back and, and you're late on a throw that I know you can make, and you actually make the right decision, but because you're late, you have to rush the throw and you miss the throw when there was no need for you to do that uh, from the beginning. And so that's the thing that I always, when I work with young kids, I always talk to them. I, yeah, I'm always asking, why are your eyes over there? Well, I'm looking off that guy. 
Well, why are you looking off that guy? Is that guy ever going to take away this throw? Well, no. Then don't look him off. Don't waste your time doing that. And so, you know, we, we get into habits, and, and I think there's coaching at different levels that teach different things. But to me, at this level with the speed of the game, you better get your eyes in the right spot right away, and you better be able to make quick decisions and get it out of your hands, or you're always going to be a day late and a dollar short at the NFL level. Kurt, we only have about a minute left before we got to let you go, but uh, curious, I'll throw a couple names at you. Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, Kirk Cousins. Rumors about how long they could be staying with their respective teams. Any or all of them an upgrade over Carson Wentz in your eyes? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think they've all shown that they, they, they can do things really, really well. I think they're different quarterbacks. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love Derek Carr. I think Derek Carr does a great job of, of processing information and, and making the right decision most of the time. My biggest thing I always talk about with Derek is I want him to be more aggressive. When he's more aggressive and attacks down the field, he can be a difference-making quarterback. Kirk Cousins, we know he's got all the, the physical ability and can make some really special throws. He's another guy that sometimes in that moment I wonder about his processing a little bit, and, that, and that's kind of what's limited him to being a really good quarterback but not quite to the elite level. Um, but possibly with the team that they have there, could be an upgrade from, from Carson Wentz. And then Jimmy Garoppolo, I think, has to be in the right system. I don't think he's a guy that can carry a team with his right arm, but he's been to a Super Bowl, and he's shown that in big moments he can make some big-time throws, um, and he can play well for stretches. I would say that's probably a wash with where those two guys are in their career right now uh, between those two guys. Kurt, we're going to tweet out the YouTube video from our show account right now. Again, you can see Kurt Warner, NFL Network's NFL Game Day morning, Saturday at 12 noon, Sunday at 11 a.m. Awesome, awesome insight, Kurt. Thank you so much for making time for us, and uh, enjoy the divisional round weekend. You got it. Thanks a lot. That was Kurt Warner with us on Kevin and Query. I recorded that, I guess, a Last Thursday, so we're recording this podcast Tuesday the 25th. Uh, you know, it's funny, there's been a few people that are very pro in the Wentz camp that have tweeted, like, Kurt Warner's an idiot, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you know what? Warner goes right back at him. I'm like, damn, man, you got... I, I don't even respond to people uh, to that degree. Uh, I mean, sometimes I entertain back and forth because I think it's good, but I'm like, if I'm Kurt Warner, I, I don't know if I have enough time to be doing all that. But hope you guys enjoyed that interview. Um, and a lot of it gets back to kind of what I talked about earlier, Chris, the mental scarring. Um, you know, I asked him, is it mental, is it physical there towards the end? Um, you know, when he left Philly, it was a lot of the footwork stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, can can you get, you know, when is year seven and, and, you know, he'll turn 30 years old here in 2022. When is that? All right. Um, it's time to move on. There was a phrase that he used in the YouTube video breakdown Chris of like he couldn't the Colts couldn't count on Carson consistently enough in the big moments I thought that was a really really good way to say it Arizona certainly speaks for itself but other big moments you couldn't count on him consistently enough Um, he also said at this point in your career you can't make these mistakes right watching that you you know um, he should know this offense you know I don't think it's that taxing but does a full off season? Does a healthy training camp? Does support around him? Would that lead to different results? Again, all questions that must be vetted through on West Fifty Six. Yeah, absolutely. All right, do you want to jump to Twitter questions? Yes, let's do it, man. 
Let's jump in with the first one from John. He says, after seeing the show that Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen put on and knowing that the Colts have to deal with both of them for the next decade, how could Jim Ursay back up the all-chips end quote and not trade for Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers? It seems to me that the only way that the Colts will be able to compete in the AFC with an elite quarterback. Love the podcast. Keep up the amazing work. I appreciate that, John. Thank you for listening. Um, First, let's start here. Two-way street. You always hear me say it. Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers. Let's take them, for example. Are they getting a sign-off on where they want to go? I, I don't. Does Wilson not have a trade clause? I want to say, like, one of them has a trade clause. I think it maybe Wilson has a no-trade clause. Um, but, Chris, like, if you're Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers, do you want to come to the AFC? Uh, not with these young studs, no. Right? I, I, I personally wouldn't. I brought up the Raiders earlier. You want to be in the same division as Mahomes and Herbert? Right. Again, loser mentality, sure, uh, <laughs> but I think that's the reality. The other thing I really worry about in pitching any sort of trade offers to Seattle or Green Bay, not having a first-round pick in 2022, Chris, can be a non-starter for for many franchises. Like, yeah. oh, wait, the first pick you're sending me is 45 overall? In terms of, you know, how quick. I mean, I don't think Seattle, maybe Seattle is, but Green Bay is not in a total rebuild. Now, who knows? Maybe Devontae Adams leaves, and all of a sudden they are in, in, in more of it. But, um, you know, John, to your point about elite quarterback, you guys know where I stand on it. There are so many tiers to quarterbacks. I've always believed you need top five, top seven quarterback to get on runs and win on a consistent, sustained level. Because sustaining your success, to me, is so critical. Look at the two teams right now. In the NFC, with one of them being in the Super Bowl, Chris, the Rams and the Gi- uh, San Francisco Giants, I almost said, <laughs> Rams and the 49ers. One of them will be making their second trip to the Super Bowl in, you know, three or four years. Darts at the board. Now, the quarterback situations have been a little bit in flux, but your best avenue to try and achieve that is to have that position set. Um, if you have a QB, you have a chance. That old phrase is. So, yeah. so true. How do you get it? It's hard. And I go back to kind of our examples of the game of the year we watched on Sunday night. I know the Chiefs made the playoffs the year before they took Mahomes. I think the Bills also made the playoffs the year before they took Josh Allen. I think it was that weird year where the Bills were like 9-7 and seven and played the Jags in the first round. Jacksonville won the <laughs> AFC South. I mean, nothing yeah, says, yeah, yeah. can we put this game on... <laughs> just Nickelodeon, <laughs> then Buffalo, Jacksonville. By the way, I love the NFL that there's franchises in there, and I again, I will hug. I, I want to hug the Bills Mafia. I want to send them a sorry letter for what they had to experience on Sunday. The Chiefs and the Bills in the playoffs, content. I mean, made the playoffs. Six teams make the playoffs back then. I mean, that's that's quite an accomplishment, right? But they weren't content. Push ahead. Know they had to get better at the most important position in sports. The Rams. You know, I mean, they're a fine football team. Made the playoffs last year. I think they won a game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the Ravens. I mean, you had Flacco. Ravens. And you, you great. Pick great, up Lamar great Jackson. Point. Great point. So, John, that's where I'm at. There's outliers. There's Flacco. There's Rob jo- or Brad Johnson. There's um, <laughs> Trent Dilfer. Sure. There. You know, Garoppolo goes to Super. There's outliers. But you watch what Flacco did in that Super Bowl run. Again, hotter than hot. So, to me, you need. You got to strive for elite. 
Yeah, and you were correct. I just looked it up. As noted, Russell Wilson has two years left on his ex- existing deal. One is the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL. Not only that, but Wilson has a full no-trade clause, meaning he would have to sign off on any prospective deal that there the Seahawks go. make. Sierra, welcome to Geist. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. How great would that be? Yeah, boy. That'd be great. I mean, for, for their neighbors. For <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine? Boy. Kevin, the next one comes from Gary. Are the Rams providing the new formula for success in the NFL? Good question, Gary. Um, it's a formula. I don't think it's the formula, though. Rams are a bit of an outlier. It always helps when you have arguably the defensive player of the year and this year's offensive player of the year. Right, and they drafted both. Right. So let's not lose sight of that. I mean, they still drafted Donald. They still drafted Cooper Cup. Um, that helps you huge financially. And then you get Odell Beckham because he's not exactly. happy. Like You know, that's the thing is like, they have had to rely on disgruntled stars leaving, Jalen Ramsey being the first. And then this year, I mean, are they at this point without Odell Beckham or Von Miller? Maybe. Uh, uh, maybe. Maybe they're still there, but that's a stretch. But it's kind of the way you look at I don't think they beat Tampa Bay without I feel them. like it's how the Bucks were a year or two ago. Right. You know, you get Sue, you get you get a couple of these guys that they're still stars into you know, their career and they they want to come to you because they want the championship. It's funny you bring that up. Tampa Bay hosted the Super Bowl, and they kind of went all in. The Rams now hosting the Super Bowl, they kind of go all in. I think their natural evolutions of franchises and how they're built has kind of led them to go all in at those points. But it is interesting how the sense of urgency of what it means to an NFL franchise to play in your own stadium for the Super Bowl, let alone your fan base, Mm -hmm. that is, on the magnitude scale, is huge. And... I would like to see the Colts have some of that urgency. I know they're not hosting Super Bowl, but it's like, you know, have a little bit more of a, man, you know, we can kind of push a few more chips into the middle of the table and not play. So, oh, you know what? Unless I got Ace King, I don't know if I'm going to join that pot there. Um, Just, (laughs) it's a little bit too hesitancy for me. And this probably goes back to free free agency philosophy. A lot of it, I think, goes back there. So, yeah, the Rams, it is a formula. I think you can take bits and pieces of the formula. But I I don't think it's crazy sustainable over a long, long period of time. But you know what? Some people would rather say, I'm going to go all in and have a two-year window. You know, whatever. Uh, The Malone, Peyton, Kobe, Shaq, Lakers. (laughs) Like, not long-term, but uh, I'm going to go in on a couple years. Granted, the NBA is a lot different. I forgot that Peyton Malone were on that same lake. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you talk about crust. Oh, boy. All right, this one comes from Brian. Chris Ballard didn't want Matthew Stafford. He picked a six-round guard overall. Stafford will be going to the Super Bowl. He wanted he, he wanted Phillip Rivers over Brady. He trades a first-round pick to a team that's going to the NFC Championship game. Is he good at his job because he picked a linebacker and running back? Why is he considered such a great GM? So Brian brings up, obviously, a lot of points here. Some I would agree with, some I would disagree with. Um, you know, he wanted Rivers over Brady. I think that is such like a miscon... Like, again, did Tom Brady want to come here? <laughs> like, I've, 
Tampa Bay, a little bit different than Indianapolis, and Lord knows I love Indy. You're not getting Jeter's house here. No, no, unfortunately. Reggie Miller, well, I don't even know if that's Paul <laughs> Joy. Yeah, that probably wasn't. I probably shouldn't have said that. Um, Matthew Stafford, Chris. Hearing that the Colts had little interest in Matthew Stafford was always confusing to me. Always confusing to me. Um, you're inevitably comparing Stafford and Wentz. I don't know. Maybe I've always been more of a Stafford guy because I am a little bit obsessed with arm talent, so that probably contributes to a little bit of it. But, like, is the Matthew Stafford career that much different than the Carson Wentz career, especially when you talk about playoff experience? Mainly playoff experience. Playoff experience, no. Right. Not at all. And I just, when you look back at that trade, the Rams ended up giving up Goff, which some might say, well, who cares if you gave up golf? Like that was a good thing you gave up golf because you got his cap space, you know, off off your his cap hit off you, and you didn't have to worry about, um, you know, him hanging around and just that cloud. So basically, it would be like this: if the Colts gave up Wentz, a first, a third, and another first, so they just gave up one more first than the Colts gave up for Wentz. I know the Rams got a lot of weapons, but I really think with Matthew Stafford quarterback, this Colts team. Could still be around. I think they could have won a playoff game. And be very, very competitive in playoff game number two. I think Stafford had an ability with that arm to process and throw with anticipation a little bit better than Wentz. Does Wentz make that play to Cooper Cup? Does Wentz recognize that blitz pre-snap? Does he realize safety's on Cup? Does he realize when I throw this ball... Antoine Winfield might be stride for stride with them, but I'm going to stand in here and, you know, Carson's been extremely tough and take the hit from Sue and deliver a ball on on the money. It, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I The, the whole, and this was not a Ballard Ursay all in on Stafford and Frank Reich has to convince them that Carson Wentz is the guy and they finally were like, all right, let's believe our head coach. He's the quarterback whisperer. Let's go with him. Ballard. Nope, on Stafford. Big no. I'm like, what? Like, what is it? Is this just like a lion stereotype? Like, you can't come from the Lions program and, you know, you've been marred in losing and you've, you know, you can't win in the NFC North. And I don't know. I don't know what the venom is against Matthew Stafford. You know, with that second first-round pick, I think that was the thing that was hesitant to a lot of people. And, Kevin, while while you were speaking, I went to Google Matthew Stafford's age because now that's what everyone falls back on is how old is so-and-so. And while I was Googling it, I was like, who cares? You get in the playoffs, you're in the dance. All you got to do is make the playoffs. Dude. You make the playoffs, you have a chance. And you're seeing teams like the Niners do that. And so – Rams. Or, or Niners. Well, yeah, well, yeah but, but I'm saying, like, yeah. you see – you see teams like the Niners with a, a, a quarterback who everyone keeps looking at their at his stats of like, well, he only threw for 100, 131 yards and an interception. Just make the playoffs. You make the playoffs. That's all you got to do. I also think we get a bit too caught up, and and I I am not going to act like I don't look at this stuff. Um, I've certainly questioned trades and what teams give up, but I think we almost get too caught up in some of that particularly at quarterback. You know, going back to the Chiefs and the Bills, the Bills trade up twice to get Josh Allen. 
the Chiefs traded up 20-some spots to get Mahomes. Mm-hmm. Like, on draft nights, love to see the fan base's reactions on those two. Oh, my gosh, look at what we gave up, you know. You move up 27-10 to 10 or whatever the Chiefs did to get Mahomes. I mean, that is a wild, wild climb, or 27-12, to 12, whatever it was. I forget where Watson went versus him, but... Um, so I don't think this is just like Frank Reich has nepotism, and that's why Carson Wentz is here. Like I, I don't. Again, it wasn't just Reich in terms of the important decision makers inside of that building signing off on this thing. I just I thought at the time Stafford was laughed out of a realistic possibility because it was too rich of a price tag. Welcome to the NFL and the quarterback position. You want it, you better be able to pay. Yeah, and that. Sounds like a someone you'd hear in Vegas on the side of the street say that, but you know <laughs> no, what you're saying, right though. Man. Like, it's gonna look bad at the time. It's gonna that that pocketbook is gonna hurt. But you know, right now, if the Rams can finally get over the 49ers hurdle, they're gonna be playing for a Super Bowl in their own building. Yep. Question from Michael. He wants to talk about the head coaching gigs, especially when it comes to Matt Eberflus. Do you think he gets the head coaching gig, especially in uh, Chicago? because he was surprised with the second callback that they had. Also, does Wink and the philosophy match the roster of Chris Ballard, or Wentz, sorry, match Wink, I think he means Martindale, Wink Martindale. Sorry about that, yeah, uh, Wink Martindale. The philosophy Ravens. match of uh, the roster and Chris Ballard and Frank Wright. Yeah, Ravens, D.C. there. Eberflus, um, yeah, I am surprised at the second gig. You know, it, it's, uh, first off, if I'm running the Bears or running the Jags, I, I'm hiring an offensive-minded head coach. You know, I think Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields have strides to take yeah. that you just need to have stability there. Why was Peyton so successful? A huge part of that was the stability of Tom Moore, without a doubt. He got lucky. Tom Moore's nowadays, they don't stay. You know, those OCs leave. You hear Pagano the other day on McAfee? If Arians would have stayed, we would have won a Super Bowl. Now, nah, I might push back a little bit and say, well... Aaron's might have got luck killed by about year three with how many hits he was taking. But, still, like, I get what he's saying, you know. All of a sudden you went from, and luck had a fine career, obviously, but, like, Arians to Pep to Chud, you know, now you yeah. fired Pep. But, you know, that was a lot to deal with there. Um, Iberflus, his relatability, like, I always felt like when Philly media would call me and ask me to come on shows, all right, tell us about Nick Sirianni. I thought that it would be a little bit too much for Sirianni to handle, just like going from no play calling to all of a sudden be the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. I said the one thing that he's going to have over a whole lot of other candidates is his relatability with everyone in that locker room is going to be at a top-flight level. I, admittedly, I have no idea, but I don't know if Iberflus has that. So that would be some skepticism there. But, I mean, culture, you can't argue. I mean, he's instilled the culture of run of the ball and loafs and effort and all of that, and that, you know, some owners are going to fall in love with that. And, you know, I think the Colts' defense have paid dividends here, but I feel like it's taken too long for adjustments with him at times. Um, I just don't think it would be the end of the world for the Colts if he left. Fresh blood. He did, he did an adequate job. But you guys have heard me use that Brian Kelly strength coach analogy before. Yeah. Like, Chris, this is what we do against tight ends. I see you guys have struggled here. 
Chris, this is what we do against bootlegs. I see you guys have struggled here. You know, fourth quarter defense. Uh, okay, I'm gonna might change up some things in the early quarters to help us out there. Oh, the pressure rate's been this bad over the years. Okay, th- these are my counters to that. And you know, Wink Martindale or Brian Flores or Vic Fangio or Mike Zimmer. Like, I mean, there's a lot of defensive minds out there. Um, it does seem like the Colts are a little bit more open minded to playing more man. You know, Chris Chris Ballard said that at the presser about a week and a half ago. Like. I liked how at the end of the season we played more man and we started to, you know, whatever. Completion percentage, I think, was coming down against opponents. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, where in the world is that over the last, you know, <laughs> how long, how many times have we said this? Yeah. To disrupt timing when you're not getting home pressure, you've got to do things on the back end to disrupt timing. And man or press is where you can get there with a big, big part of that. So, you know, I know there are a lot of numbers you can point to where the Colts defense has been adequate better than adequate. But Chris, I want to say they have nine first or second round picks on that defense. That's a big old number. Yeah. Big old number. So your expectations should be really high. And not only that, that but that then trading for DeForest as well. Well, I I, I include him in oh, okay, there, okay, you know, okay, when okay. you're giving up. I mean, hell, you could say that <laughs> technically he's worth two first round picks because he is a first round pick, not by your franchise, but you also traded for him. But still, just slotting him in as one and you know, Rock and Darius and Ture and Banigou and Lewis, like, is it development? Is it not, you know, some of those guys obviously have been hits, but some of them haven't. So I am I am surprised that Eberflus is is getting a second interview, but clearly he's making a strong, strong impression in mm-hmm. Jacksonville, Chicago. Now some might say it's Jacksonville, Chicago. <laughs> but still, you know, he's hey, doing something. Head coach is a head coach. And I could be dead wrong. You know, maybe Eberflus would go and the grass is not always greener. I could be dead wrong about this, but I've just – Always felt like you can tap into more, dictate more, play, have more of the chess pieces in your hands and making moves. I don't play chess, but I'm just guessing that's how it works. <laughs> but, yeah. Question from Jay. He saw the interview that Zach Kiefer had with Jim Irsay. Would love to hear your thoughts on Jim Irsay's words about Carson Wentz. And, obviously, there were tweets this morning that people were going to read into. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot there, Chris, to unpack here. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's just, it's the shortest question, but it's the most to unpack. Yeah, I have a feeling this might be the longest <laughs> answer. So, okay, um, the Ursa comments to Kiefer, I thought were interesting, and I've pulled a few of these. An epic shortfall that stunned and shocked and appalled us all. Frank and Chris and I realized the weight of this historic collapse. The fact that it wasn't even a close game. I can't even find the words to describe it, Ursay fumed. It was nothing I ever imagined. Those are pretty detailed. Pretty emotional. Pretty. I was going to say very powerful words. Powerful. That's a great word to use there. For a guy that doesn't have words, they're powerful. (laughs) That is powerful. Um, Then I also think back to what he said to Mike Chappell, Chris. Well, we think Frank and Chris have done an excellent job. Like, excellent does not fall in line with those three phrases mm-hmm. I just think. I feel like Ursay's out of two sides of his mouth right now, Chris. Um, I did find it interesting. Like, he's like, we want more warriors. I'm thinking to myself, that word is exactly how I would describe the Nico Autry. And yet, we saw what he did on Saturday, right. and we've seen what he's done all year. Um, now, the all-in comment. I was glad Zach asked him on this. Did you catch this? Okay. So the all-in comment that Ursa did in front of the jet, the engines roaring. Right. 
he made it clear that that was not about Carson Wentz. That that was about the offseason commitment to players, you know. And we've talked about this on the on the podcast before last offseason. I thought it was wild that the players were like, oh, yeah, we're not going to. Well, I shouldn't say I, I thought it was wild. I said to myself, when the players decided not to come here in the spring, they came here. They didn't do anything physical, two-hand touch for two weeks. Okay. Don't expect different results when you look at the opener you've got and you look at the first five games. Mm-hmm. Boom. You saw what happened there. Um, so I think that's where kind of the all-in comment comes from there. Now, let's toss in his tweet from today. Let's start there. His tweet from, and by today, I mean one twenty in the morning, folks. <laughs> you can see, clear as day in the final eight NFL team playoffs. God, his grammar and just his punctuation make for a tough read, don't it's they? It's very tough. You need a QB, an offense who can score 30 or more points in regulation, and a defense that can hold an opponent under 30. To me, Chris, that tweet says, fans, I'm hearing you. It says the playoff results are eye-opening, and it says, how many times can I say it? Jim, or, This is me talking. How many times can I say this? Jim Irsay was irate with Carson Wentz's vaccination status, and I think he was very disappointed with his play on the football field. Had higher expectations. Knows what a quarterback means in this league. You know, Chris Bowd went on the Colts podcast last week, Chris, and, I, and, and I've been there, you know. When you have the GM of the team coming on a team medium, if that GM wants to talk about this topic, he'll talk about that topic. Yeah. If he wants you to ask this question, he'll tell you to ask mm-hmm. th- that question. That's the life of any business out there. Yeah. Chris Bowd talked for 20 minutes, and he didn't walk back anything Carson Wentz related. So he didn't walk out of that hour-long press conference the week before and say, Man, my words. I didn't realize I sounded like that, or I got to clarify some things. Yeah. He could have. He chose. I mean, they really didn't talk much about Wentz at all. Um, But if you wanted to, but you wanted to clarify, he could have easily have gone out of his way. So, again, as we sit here right now, Ursay, Ballard, I would say they would vote no on Wentz. Reich, we'll see. Now, you can vote no, but then also realize, guys, we're putting together a puzzle. The puzzle pieces have financial implications, other resource implications. If you want to cry, look at the free agent quarterbacks in 2022. That'll make you cry. If you need to go cry, <laughs> go ahead, pull that list off. It'll give you a good cry there. Now, his second video, there's so many videos. Ursay referenced the story, and can you kind of refresh me on it, Chris? It's There's a biblical story on... So it's more about like there's a flood, right? So he he used Katrina for an example, or he said New Orleans. He didn't say Katrina. Um, police car comes along, tries to pick up the person. They say no, God's gonna save me. Yeah, helicopter. Something comes else in. comes along. Yeah. Then a hel- and then the the person goes to heaven, and they're like, God, why didn't you save me? And they go, I sent a pl- I sent the police car, I sent the boat, and I sent a helicopter. That was me trying to save you, and so that was his point. And then explained it right at the end. He explained it. I can't remember his explanation. Again, it was so it, like 6 a.m., so I was. <laughs> it, it is a frequent story. Yes. You know, it's not like some. It's Yeah, it's a frequent. I guess it's a modern name parable. Jim say joke. All right. Yeah. So for our YouTube commenters out there, here comes a two, three-minute talk on the vaccine and where things are at right now. Um, 
because the owner of the football team has seemingly brought it up again. So that is why we'll talk about it, because Jim Irsay's decision and his thoughts on the matter, they influence your football team. I did not initially think it, but after some thought and talking to some people, this was in reference to prominent players in the football team and your quarterback not being vaccinated. That's what some people think. I, When you first saw the video, you didn't think that initially, right? Not at first, no. That, that's, no. I, I was in the same boat, and maybe my brain isn't cynical enough to go there right away. If that is indeed what Jim Mercer was doing, and I say this as someone that is vaccinated, boosted, whatever, I am... I think it's the smart decision. I'm not going to rip people to shreds that decide to disagree with that thought that I have created in my mind. I think this is such a, like, public, childish, immature move to make by Jim Irsay. Like, you told Zach Kiefer, if I have an issue with Carson Wentz, I am going to confront him face-to-face. Sending a Twitter video on your private jet with some subliminal message that to me is like so seventh grade fight based like oh my my away message is gonna say this <laughs> and it's gonna be cryptic and you're like get the season ends you want to get Carson Wentz and Darius Leonard and Quentin Nelson whoever else in a room and say guys I am so pissed about that decision I get that it was your own decision it pissed me off I think it cost our team whatever you're the owner of the football team you can do that but I I'm just ready to move on, man. Okay? That decision was made. These guys are still cornerstone football pieces to your football team, some of them more than others. You think if Aaron Rodgers called the Colts and was like, I'd like to come here, Jim Mercer would be like, well, you know, that vaccine thing, man, we don't want you here. (laughs) No. No. It's just ludicrous to even think that. So if it's an issue to you, Jim, address it once, move on. If you need to do it in a press conference setting, address it then. You know, he had chances to talk to Mike Chappell, to talk to Zach Kiefer. He hasn't done kind of a full-on presser. But if this is really irking you and pissing you off, be direct, be consistent with your message, and be accountable. And at times, I just feel like that's not there. I love the energy. It's more than Herb Simon. But I, I I don't love that this is continuing to be a story in such cryptic ways. Like, to me, it's just not how he should be running things. If this is a big, big issue with Wentz, get on the record. Be direct about it. Now, actions will speak louder than words here in about a month and a half, but, um, and again, this is me assuming that this is what he's talking about. We'll see if that's exactly what, or I guess we'll probably never see if that's exactly what he was saying or not. But in summary, Chris, we know Jim Irsay has had some problems with Carson Wentz off the field. And I think on the field, he's had some issues as well. That's not great for the yeah. quarterback in his future here in Indianapolis. Again, I am of the thinking of, Jim, it's time to move on. Handle things behind a closed door. It's time to move on on this topic. Like, I hope that we're not here this time next year having the same sort of discussion about the 2022 NFL season. But these guys made the decision. This is, this is what they decided to do. Um, let's not be sending out videos that are you're laughing at your own jokes late in the video, explaining <laughs> these parables or whatever, and half the world's like, oh, my God, he's talking about the vaccine. Like, <laughs> I just think it's so childish. For me, the worst part, or not the worst part, but 
the thing that stinks it's when you go on a, a Twitter spree, it's like, okay, we get it. Just tweet after tweet after tweet after tweet after tweet. And, I mean, it's good for us in the radio business Terrific. and in the media business because it's, it's something to talk about. But And, like, I really like Jim Irsay as a Colts owner, Chris. I, I, I think Colts fans should be very happy that he is the owner of their football team. I think he does so much good for the community. All of that. And I, maybe this is, like, COVID fatigue in my brain talking right now. But it, again, Jim, as someone that is has chosen to be vaccinated and and believes that that is the right decision, like, can we just move on? Yeah, these are the decisions. Have some level of respect for the decision, and if you have an issue with it, behind closed doors. But all in, and you know, the, this video, if this is indeed the case, just oh, I'm exhausted, man. <laughs> I'm exhausted. We're going to stay on Jim Mersey a little bit here with a question from Burke, who doesn't have a Twitter, but went to oh, our— Oh, Burke, DM me. Instagram yeah. action. Yeah. Went to IG to Insta, or went to IG to message Kevin. Wants to know your thoughts about uh, Russell Wilson, which, of course, since Jim Mersey's on the West Coast, and we've already talked about, there's rumors about that, and so on and so forth. We've already talked about his contract. After the Luck retirement, he says, I believe that Jim Mersey made a comment that they would have drafted Wilson if he was still available in the same draft as Andrew Luck. Will all the chatter of Wilson looking at other options this year, or with all those uh, words of him looking at other options this year, what do you think it would take to get him? Chris, do we have every NFL team on the record that says they would have drafted Russell Wilson? Because I believe right now we have every. I think we <laughs> I think have every team. All 31, yes. I think, have gone on the record and said that. Yeah. What would it take to get Wilson? Okay, so the Stafford package was what? Two first and a third? Mm hmm. Plus golf, which doesn't really count. I would say three first and a third. Does that seem realistic? Maybe sub in a player, you know, high end player. Probably a player, yeah. Instead of one of those picks. I mean, you're gonna have to. Yeah. Um. That. That's a good question. I'm. You know, I'm bad at kind of hypothetical trades, Chris. I. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not great at them. Um. Something along those lines. You know, a four-pick package in the first couple of days of the draft and or a prominent player. Mm -hmm. But I go back to what I said earlier, Burke. That non-starter of a 2022 first-round pick. Mm. Yeah. Picking the you-know-what. Right. A couple questions ago, we talked about Matt Eberflus and his head coaching opportunities and the interest with the Bears. Travis wants to stay right there with a question Talking about if he does if he does go to one of those teams, since he is a finalist, do you think there is a replacement in-house? Yeah, it's a great question, Travis. Um, part of me says no. Alan Williams, their safeties coach, has been a defensive coordinator before. I think he's the only one on staff with experience. Um, and, you know, I'll go back to what I said earlier about, you know, they, Chris, seemed to really like the man coverage that they started to employ late in the season. So, while you want a four-man front, or Chris wants that, and I think he likes a lot of zone looks, feels like that helps in the turnover department, I think there is some open-mindedness to maybe not being like Tampa 2, Rod Marinelli 3, like those sorts of things. So, um, you know, I mentioned some names earlier of Flores and Fangio and Zimmer and all that. I think Gus Bradley was let go with the Chargers. Could be wrong about that. Might have been. Um What's his name? The guy that interviewed here for the head coaching job, light skinned dude, Chris Richard. You remember him? I think he's maybe in da was in Dallas and the Saints. Has some Seattle 
um, trees, and again, interviewed here for the head coaching job. So, um, but Ballard, you know, Ballard wants to keep the four three. He wants the indoor. He thinks that that's what wins four three speed, and and I, and I get a lot of that. But, yeah, I'll never forget Ballard just very adamant about this defensive system for an indoor football team. Let's talk about that uh, uh, man-to-man coverage. Danner has a question. Could you touch on Kenny Moore not liking cover zero? Could be reading too much into this, but with with the cornerback's quotes at the press conference about playing more man coverage, is this more of a shot at Matt Eberflus, Chris Ballard, or both? Yeah, I just think Kenny was, which I saw, you know, Kenny's liking tweets, I guess, or something. I don't know. I'm not, again, I'm exhausted by it all. Cover zero, you know, I think sprinkling in some, cover zero is a little different than I think sprinkling in man. Um, you know, it goes back to that Bucks D on that touchdown, Chris. I'm like, there's no timeouts, and it's the defense you're playing. If you tackle the Rams one time, you're probably going to go to overtime. Yeah. Situational football, man. I. It's crazy how it comes down to like in the off season, you have got to just have a full month just situational football. Every single situation you feel like you can counter, and like some of them obviously overlap. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you have to plan. And but then, so when you get into these moments, all right, Bills, time to squib the kick with 13 seconds to go. Let's maybe press Tyreek Hill or just bump him. I know you're not gonna like press him or whatever. Thirteen seconds, guys. Squib, 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 squib. Up, man. They pitch it back to Hill. Hill's going to try and be a hero. So the clock will run. I don't know. Anyways, cover zero. Yeah, Dana. I, I, I wouldn't read. I, I think you're reading a little bit too much into it. Um, man coverage is difficult. Cover zero though, with no safety help whatsoever. I think it's slightly different. Okay. We got four more. This one comes from KJH. Would Ed Dodds getting the Raiders GM? job help or hinder picking up uh Derek Carr as a quarterback next season and is that an option worth exploring anyways that's interesting um you know who what are the Raiders doing I wouldn't have fired I wouldn't have fired the head coach to be well yeah I agree there um you know Mariota's in waiting not Trey Lance not Mahomes not Josh Allen so I don't necessarily Get that. Um, you know, I think open communication always helps in these sorts of things. If Ed Dodds were to be the GM, now maybe Ed Dodds would want to go there because he likes Derek Carr. You know, that's something you got it. But think about all the Jets, Colts, you know, transactions, mm-hmm. trades. Rex Hogan was under Ballard and he's now with the Jets. So I think, um, so yeah, I, I think open communication would help. Uh, but I also think, again, you know, the Raiders got to do something drastic to. Make a change of quarterback, in my opinion. I don't think it's, you know, oh, we're just going to re-sign Mariota and he's going to be our starter. <laughs> All right, from Steven, what is the trade value for Carson Wentz? Would a team like the Washington football team, uh, New Orleans Saints, or Pittsburgh Steelers be interested in him? Oh, that's a great question, man. What do you think? What do you think right now, Carson Wentz? I think all those teams will. No. You stick with what you have. Man. What? I mean, what are you going to trade? Well, I guess that that's kind of what I'm asking. What, what what pick would you be giving up? A third rounder for Wentz? It's probably a one-year trial financially. 
I mean, I guess to Steven's credit, all these teams are, I guess when you look at well, who, yeah. who they currently have and who are their backups. None of them have obvious answers. Y- yeah, yeah, so they're all question marks. Yeah, Steven, I'd probably say a third-ish round. I mean, I think there is some trade market. I don't think it's glamorous. But then who do we? Right. That's the other question. So you got, like you said earlier about the whole puzzle, if you make a trade like that, you got to know where your other piece is coming from. You know, I brought this up to Jake this morning on the show, Chris, and I'll throw it at you. And hopefully, you didn't hear this. Sec- well, hopefully, you did because that means you were listening. But you know what I mean. Hopefully, you did <laughs> yeah. it for creativity and originality here on the podcast. Okay, hypothetical: Carson Wentz is a five on a one to ten quarterback scale. Okay. Okay. If you can go and get a seven. Or a seven and a half on that quarterback scale this offseason. Might only be a short term fix, though. Might only be one to two years. Maybe that seven's Derek Carr. Maybe that seven's Kirk Cousins. Again, just throwing out right. hypotheticals mm-hmm. here. Would it make sense to go and get that guy? Or would you look at that as that's a waste of resources? You could be stuck in the same situation you are right now, two years down the road. Now you have less resources and you still don't have the answer at quarterback. Let's face it, we all, if we're dating a five, want to date a seven. <laughs> but right now, um, until we address some of the offensive skill players, especially on the outside, I'd stay with once. Yeah. Until I get another receiver or until I know what TY is doing. Because, again, that it, it, everything is hypothetical, like you said. Stafford comes here. We probably make the playoffs. I just... But still, who are who? Who is the seven throwing to? I want another receiver. I want another tight end. Gosh, man, you sound like boys at a bar right now. You see that seven that just walked in? <laughs> Bears are hiring Chiefs assistant director of player personnel Ryan Poles as their next general manager. So, okay. Morocco Brown, who's with the Colts, who um, I the few interactions I've had of. Morocco Brown, he's a great individual. I love his personality. Um, I believe if he would have taken the job, that would have gotten the Colts a third-round pick this year and next year. He's a minority candidate, and the NFL adopted that rule a few years ago. So I know some people were interested in that for many reasons, but that being one of the reasons. And obviously we'll see how this plays into the Matt Eberflus. Does a Chiefs person being right. hired mean Eric Bieniemy? All of a sudden shows up on the list. Or I think he will be high on uh, I mean, he has man, been. Poles is young, 26. 26? Sorry, 36. Sorry, oh. sorry, sorry, sorry. I was like, I, what am I doing with my life? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shit. You and me both, man. All right, what do we got here? A couple more? Yep, two more. This one comes from Zach. Kev, hope you and the family are staying healthy and all and all is well. After listening to Chris Ballard's press conference and the non-comment about Carson Wentz, would Jordan Love be in play? Aaron Rodgers seems to be sticking around, and he thinks that the Colts had interest in Love during the draft. We talked about Dodds going out to scout him on a previous podcast. Also, is it a pipe dream to have anyone trade a pick, maybe swap a pick, to dump Wentz and the salary on another quarterback needing team? Okay. Um, I know the Colts just – so Chris Ballard is, I think, content with the red flag in the um, marijuana category. Chris. And I bring that up because Jordan Love, uh, was he, he smoked weed right before the bowl game. They caught him. And was he out for the bowl game with Utah State? I'm trying to think what that was. Suspended for half, something along those lines. I'm trying to think of that. 
Uh, I think that rubbed the Colts the wrong way. Okay. You know, it, I, again, I think they are totally fine with, all right, you get caught smoking, whatever, in college, like it's 2022, who cares? But the fact that, like, your quarterback does that just a couple days before his final college football game, like, can't you, you wait? Know, wait, <laughs> yeah. So, um, and Ballard had a meeting with Love just a couple nights before the draft, whenever that year was, 2020. And I, I just don't think loved love the vibe um, with him. So, yeah, I don't. To answer your love question, I don't think that would be in the cards. Okay. All right, the last question comes from Justin. Probably more of a comment than a question. Wants to know if you could agree or disagree here. Very, very disappointed and embarrassed about the, how, the, how the Colts blew the end of their season, but he thinks it's something that has flown under the radar is that he believes that probably the healthiest roster that we've had at the end of a regular season in many years, COVID excluded. Uh, just wants to know how think you how far you think we could have made a push into the playoffs come January. Yeah, you know, I think it's a good point Justin brings up. You know, we talked a little bit about this earlier, the good luck and injury size. I mean, mm-hmm. Tyquan Lewis, Julian Blackman, was that it? Yeah. Maybe I'm it. missing somebody, but I think that was it in your starting lineup. You didn't have out there. And it comes back to how I've always thought about the NFL, man. Years are precious. What are the 49ers' odds to go to the Super Bowl in November? What are the Bengals' odds to go to the Super Bowl? Hell, two weeks ago. Right. You know, so uh, that's why you can be built to give yourself better chances and better odds to routinely make those runs, but you st- there's always outliers in the runs. So I think that is what is so demoralizing. You know, Justin, I I just don't think they would have made a run. You know, I obviously hindsight is so 2020, and I can easily say it now, but Chris, you know the team that I've mentioned before that I was the most worried about in the first round potential matchups was Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a team I'm like, God, this is an explosive offense that I just don't, and I think they've got enough on defense, enough. I, I don't, we'll find out if that four-man rush can get home against Kansas City, that's a big, big ask. But um, that is something that I think I would have been hesitant about. So I don't think they would have made a run. I probably would have had them losing to Cincinnati in round one. But, you know, you just you never know. Yeah. You know, if whatever, Prescott decides not to another situational football move, that was horrible, <laughs> and they throw one up to CeeDee Lamb and boom. I mean, you know, we easily could have Tennessee playing Buffalo right now and have Green Bay playing Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. It's the beauty, beauty, and also makes it maddening for four fan bases that are sitting at home right now, and they easily thought they could be there. And the Colts, I get why it's so frustrating. Like, you cheer all year long to watch your team in one-and-done football. Totally understand that. And to watch that wild card round, especially that first game, Raiders-Bengals, yeah, when you should have been there. Mm. Yeah, knowing that the one and done, you had two weeks to pretty much go one and done. Right, and right. Against, you know, touchdown favorite. Done. Two touchdown favorites after that. So thank you, everybody, for the questions. Um, hope you guys enjoyed the Kurt Warner interview we had yes. earlier. Uh, we'll continue to unpack more offseason stuff throughout February. Get to more of your questions as well. And we've got written content up on the website, 1075thefan.com. Uh, any topics, any storylines you want us to get into throughout the offseason, feel free to DM us. And uh, we'll make sure to touch on that 
um, at some point here in 2022. Chris Presley, your pick, AFC Championship, NFC Championship. Who you got? I'm going to go with the Chiefs. Score? Oh, shoot. I can't even think about the score. Um, I got to look at it. I still have to unpack all the over-unders and everything and and shout out again if people are local you hear kevin's uh prop swap commercials how about that person on your your current commercial where they they traded that niners pick in <laughs> yes and the niners are now potentially Dude. going to the super bowl so good for that guy yeah good for that guy to say the least um i'll go niners chiefs okay it's a little rematch from a couple years ago i will go with the rams I think finally get over the 49ers hump this season. I will go with the Rams 27-23. Can they block Bosa and Armstead and them? That is a worry of mine, but I'm going to go with the Rams 27-23. And who day? Who day? Oh, no. The Bengals, baby. 30. The Chiefs, 27. (laughs) Okay. That's the best part about football. A lot of my heart there. (laughs) <laughs> a little bit of my head. I don't know. That's probably dumb. I, I think the Chiefs have chinks in the armor. I think they've got chinks in the armor. Um, we've seen it at various points this season. The emotional toll of playing that game, and now they are one less day during the week. It, as long as Cincinnati can settle into the game. Cincinnati can settle into the moment, settle into the game. I think they got a legit chance. Part of me feels like, the Chiefs are going to get home on Burrow more often than not. I know. But at the same that. time, heck, he just got sacked, what, eight, nine times and still won a game. So, And I'd love, I'd love to see Mixon get a few just touches in the open field. I think he's such a dynamic player yeah. as well. So hopefully, and I know it's a high bar, but hopefully it lives up to what we had the last week. All right, man, we'll be back next week. I guess it's Pro Bowl week. Update you on some coaching staff, T.Y. Hilton, Jack Doyle news, a little bit of everything for agency-wise as well. He's Chris Presley. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week. We'll talk to you next week on Kevin's Corner. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.